Friends, let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, we're at the end of our section on the armor of God. We're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit today, but I want to read to get the context again, verses 10 and 11 first. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Down to verse 17. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The grass withers, the flower fades, the preacher stumbles over his words and errs, but no matter, the word of God stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray with your servant Job. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Would that be true of us? We woke up and had our bread this morning. Now we want to feast on your word. Would this be more precious to us than even breakfast? Feed us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Christian, are you ready for a fight? Do you think the devil is going to hand you holiness? Do you think the devil is going to give up great commission ground without a fight? Do you think you're going to make it to the Lord's table this morning without the evil one throwing your sin and shame back in your face? Do you think the prince of darkness will lose his subjects lightly? If you feel discouraged this morning, or angry, or apathetic, or lustful, or greedy, or bitter. That is the hot breath of the enemy on your collar, reminding you that you can run from your former life in Ephesians chapter 2, back when all of us were described as dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. We, we can run from that life, but we can't hide. You can take Israel out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of Israel. You can take the kid out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the kid. You can get all dolled up in our Christian lives right now, and we can walk into this place with smiles on our faces, well-groomed, and speak Christianese to one another, and we can fool everybody around us, including ourselves, but we will not fool the enemy. He knows where you live. He knows what you like. He knows your sweet tooth for sin. He knows how to get you coming back again and again and again. You feel the weight of Paul's pastoral care for the church when he writes these words. He says, church, 
please, church, you cannot do this on your own. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And then he gives us these five pieces of armor to protect ourselves. We talked about the belt and the breastplate and the shoes and the shield and the helmet. These are five defensive measures against the evil one who is attacking us. But now for the first time, Paul is ready to give us an offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which we're going to focus on today. But immediately, as soon as Paul says that, he urges us, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Word and prayer, prayer and the Word, these are the essential twin habits of every believer that are now weaponized for the kingdom of God. This is so much so that the very first apostles, those who were closest with Jesus, when they began their ministry in the book of Acts, and they were up to their ears in Acts 6 with opportunities to share the gospel, and it was like the Lord was opening incredible doors for them. They called out to the church, we need to stop this. We can't go at this pace because we ourselves need to focus and dedicate ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what we're talking about today. This weapon of the word, the sword of the spirit that is for every believer in Christ. Now this Greek word sword that we read in Ephesians 6, it's not a broad sword, it's the short Roman sword. So if you picture a Roman soldier going into battle, he's got a shield, he's got a spear. He begins conflict at a distance from his enemy. But once the enemy presses in close, that's the time you lose your spear and you pull out this short sword. And this is for hand-to-hand close combat with the enemy. This is not an elegant broad sword that you're holding two-handed, kind of swinging these arcs on the battlefield. Get, Get Joan of Arc out of your head. This is like bayonet fighting that you don't even have time to fix on your rifle. The fight we're talking about here is close, it's gritty, it's hands dirty, it's smell the enemy's breath kind of close combat. And so as we venture into this, I want us to meet the master of close combat with the evil one, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. If there was any passage in the Bible that taught us how to pick up our Bibles like a sword and hit a spiritual force in the face with it, it would be Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Now some of you guys know this story at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Before he even does anything publicly in his ministry, he spends 40 days in fasting and prayer which should again remind us of the power of prayer and fasting before the Lord. And during that time, the devil visits him and seeks to, like he did Adam and Eve, upend his ministry before it even gets started. In every temptation, the devil comes to him and tempts him to do something. And in every temptation, Jesus responds, but not on his own. He responds with the word of God. Actually, in Matthew 4, he only uses passages from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. Think about this for a moment. Jesus 
is God. Everything that Jesus says is God's word and is eternal. So like if Jesus would have said to the apostle Peter, please pass the salt, and Luke would have recorded that in his gospel, it would be the very word of God. Like red letter status, not a jot or tittle of that would pass away, though heaven and earth would. If there was anybody who walked this earth who could wing it when it came to the devil, make something up on the spot to respond to the evil one in temptation, it would be the Son of God. And yet Jesus himself did not leave that to chance. We assume that he reached for Deuteronomy 6 through 8, Because that was the last passage that Jesus, the Son of God, the very Word of God, was himself studying on his own. Jesus steeps his mind in this book. He loves this book. He studies this book. He has it memorized. He knows where to find things. And then he picks it up and he hits the devil with it, countering every attack and emerging from that temptation victorious. But then somehow you and I think, you know what? I'll be fine. I can do this. I can figure this out. I follow some pastors on Twitter. They say spiritual things. I hear that stuff. I've got a a Bible verse tattooed on my ankle in Aramaic. You know, I'm around the word. It's near me. I read the shack like 10 years ago. You know, I I got this. If the devil comes, I'll come up with something. Don't worry about me. If the devil comes, If the devil comes, the whole of Ephesians 6 assumes that the devil and his horde surround us. Ephesians 6 assumes that spiritual forces are plotting against our souls this very minute. Ephesians 6 assumes that the sky is lit up by the barrage of the evil one aimed at our heart. And Ephesians 6 assumes that you cannot possibly hazard this fight alone. And all the while, we leave the sword of the Spirit on our dresser and we bring a daggum butter knife to the battlefield. The first thing Jesus ever said to the devil was Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And yet some of us believers are sticking to a diet of bread alone. Paul says, Christian, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Surely that means to go home and find our Bibles. I know it was here when I moved because I remember unpacking it, but where did I leave it? Surely this means to locate 
where my Bible is. Surely this means to ask a fellow believer who has been doing this longer than I have, how do you pray and read your Bible? Like, what do you actually do? Unfold the the 15 or the 30 or the 45 minutes for me. Tell me exactly what you're doing. Because I open it up and I read a few verses and I don't understand them and I don't get much out of them and it doesn't last for very long. Find somebody who does this and lives this and has been doing it for decades. And then surely it means, once I have that, setting aside time to read and to study the Word. If it's a running day, I put my shoes by the front door. Why? Because I don't trust my morning self to go to the trouble of finding my running shoes. I put my Bible in a place, I know my time, and I'm ready to study it. I don't just mean, did you get your quiet time in? I mean, are you getting a handle of this thing? Do you know its heft and its weight? Do you know where it starts and where it ends? Do you know where to find what you need? Do you know that even though you bring questions to it, it teaches you better questions to ask of it, and then it provides surprising answers? Are you ready to use this thing in a fight? That's what we're talking about when Paul says, pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's this incredible scene from David's day that captures the tenacity that we're talking about of our relationship with our Bibles. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 23. That's a fun chapter where uh, we hear about David's warriors, the 30 men that were the most fearsome warriors in David's army. First there's the three, then there's the 30. And Eleazar is one of the top three fighters in David's army. And this is a story about how he got there. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines who were gathered for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar but only to strip the dead. You know that feeling when you've been watching college football all day and your hand starts cramping around the remote? You know what I'm talking about? And it's just kind of hard to to let go. Yeah, that's what Eleazar was doing. He hit so many Philistines with his sword that when the fight was done, He couldn't even put it down to relax. I'm looking for that saint on their deathbed that as I begin to to pull this book away from them because where they're going, they don't need an English translation anymore and it's stuck to their hand. They've been holding and using this thing. Psalm 144 verse 1, God trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He will teach me to use this thing and to fight with this thing. That's what Paul is calling the church to do. 
Now, I know we're going to leave here today with varying levels of resolve to go home and pick up and study our Bibles. Some of us are going to do that. Some of us feel that Spirit's conviction, and we're going to, we're going to get that thing. We're going to study that thing. We're going to begin to learn how to use that thing. And, and some of us, this is not that day. We're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to prioritize that. Um, that's not going to be true of us. I genuinely pity the latter group. Whenever God offers us something that, that can keep the enemy at bay, I pity those who don't use it. That's sad. But I do want to remind us that our salvation is not dependent on our swordsmanship. We're not going to merit heaven on the battlefield. Because Jesus doesn't push us out in front to test our mettle, to see if we're worthy of him. Instead, he already knows our unworthiness, and he rides out first to win our salvation. There's a bunch of soft, sweet images of Jesus in our Bibles. There's a bunch of them. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he won't snuff out. There are very sweet things to say about Jesus. But there are also some terrifying ones too, depending on which side of the battlefield you're fighting. Because the Lamb of God is also the Lion of Judah. I want to read a hair-raising description of Jesus from Revelation 19, the story of a Jesus who picks up this sword in our stead. Here's what John says. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Then the beast was captured. That great beast who causes us so much heartache today. And with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. Those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Jesus, the word made flesh. Jesus, the word made sword will have his victory. And very soon the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Let's pray together. God, you equip us like warriors, but we're really like armor bearers. 
like Jonathan's armor bearer who followed him into the fray, we follow after you and the great victory you have wrought for our salvation and we strike down those who were left. Would you make us men and women who love your word, who handle it rightly, who use it to divide the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Would you use it to feed us and to defend us? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.